such an amazing intro and I'm not having a Christmas sermon um, so it's kind of my apologies next Sabbath if you're not away for the holidays uh, we'll go to the where and why of Christmas but since it's so early on in my time with you and since the Lord has called me on a faith walk by coming here I think it's only right we start with a sermon on faith and my hope is that we'll walk together teaching the elephant to dance let's pray our Father God thank you Jesus Emmanuel through the Holy Spirit's power show us that you are with us right now and don't let me mess this up speak to your people speak to your pastor your preacher I pray this in Jesus name amen back to John chapter 14 the context is the upper room one of the things I love about the Gospel of John is that it shares so much detail about the closing events of Christ's life and more than anyone else on what was said in the upper room Jesus is about to go to Gethsemane then to the cross and then to a grave so he is speaking to them of very important things verses 11 and 12 again believe me that I am I don't think this is happenstance this is an important title for God believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves in other words, for all that you've seen, the miracles, all that you've heard, all that you've witnessed, believe for those reasons. Most assuredly, Jesus is saying, you can count on this. I say to you that he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Amen. When I first heard about how trainers controlled elephants, it caught me by surprise. It's not that I didn't believe what I was reading. I've seen trained elephants, not just in the United States, but in India. It's just that I was surprised to think of elephants in churches this is the second time. I'm sorry. Anyway, <laughs> thank you for helping me. If I go down, someone finish this for me. It's right up here. <laughs> it just seems strange for me to think about elephants in churches all at the same time. And stranger still to find the story in a book in the business world called Teaching the Elephant to Dance. In that book, it described how when elephants are little, trainers will shackle them with heavy chains and, and then put deeply embedded stakes, chain it to that. In that way, the little elephant learns to stay in its place. The lesson is learned so well that even full-grown elephants, powerful elephants, often don't even try to leave, even though they have more than enough power and strength available to pull the stake out and go anywhere they want, out beyond the length of the chain, few ever do. You see, the idea that they can't 
has been ingrained so deeply that they don't. They've been trained so well to believe that they can't that eventually trainers won't even bother with the chains or the stakes. Just a small little bracelet manacle around their big foot and they stay where they are. Amazing, isn't it? Do you catch the weight of that? Do you catch the significance of that, Christian? Do you see the parallel between pachyderms and people, elephants and churches? As I read the book, my mind kept coming back to the church and the captive congregations held by bracelets attached to nothing. Invisible chains impeded progress. Giants held in check by nothing except an idea. Elephants in churches, churches can be elephants, held prisoner to the past, conditioned elephants, conditioned churches, tied down by past failures and past struggles, held in place by small manacles attached to nothing but an idea, a false idea. Chained elephants, chained churches, saints on a leash. Pretty amazing when you consider that the average male elephant is 10 to 11 feet tall and weighs six tons. Dwarfs me. And I'm not easily dwarfed. And weighs a lot more than me, just remember that too. Over six tons. Able to knock down trees. Able to stomp and shake the earth. Held in place by a little metal bracelet attached to nothing. Over 12,000 pounds of dead weight. I doubt anyone has ever tried to calculate the estimated poundage of dead weight in the church. Hmm. You see where I'm headed, don't you? Out past the length of the chain. You can see where I'm going. That's no mystery. The mystery is why we haven't gone sooner. Churches can be a lot like elephants, trained elephants, big and slow, large and lethargic. Churches can be a lot like zoo elephants, caged, passive pachyderms, munching peanuts and hay, watching the crowd out there with a dull, vacant stare. Standing in place, passing the time, pachyderms, passing the time, pass me the peanuts, not going anywhere for a while, snicker saints. Board bracelet wearers, trumpeting occasionally, just to make sure the trunk still works, giving that trumpet a certain sound, a boring existence, and untapped possibilities. Elephants in churches with the same story. But it's more personal than that, because we are the church. You see, the church, you know this isn't a building, it is a body, and we are the body that makes up the pachyderm. As far as I'm concerned, we've been shackled for too long. We've been held in place as well for too long, chained for too long, bound by our past failures and bound by our fear of failure, bound by routine, bound by nothing in particular, shackled saints, chained Christians, invisible chains attached to nothing. So I got some bad news today that Christians are still dying at the stake. But nowadays, it's usually for unbelief rather than for their beliefs. Jesus said, 
you will know the truth. He was talking about himself. You will know the truth and the truth will do something for you. It will set you free. God's word says, let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. The reason this is so important among so many others is because the trainer of this world has too much control of our minds. I wonder how the trainer got to you. I wonder what bracelet holds you back from a genuine ministry, a greater life, a more fulfilling life in Christ, a more abundant life, a life of service with meaning and purpose. Did the devil catch you early? Did he tell you all the things you couldn't do? Did he give you the reasons why he's very persuasive and elephants have big ears? Did he tell you you're not smart enough? Did he say you've got nothing to offer that you will never amount to anything and you'll never get too far? Have you listened to the voices of the naysayers, the cynics, and the ever-present critics, even in churches? Have you been reminded of all your past failures? Have you been told that the Lord can never use you? You're a sinner and you know it. What kind of a liar is this? And what kind of believers are we? I mean, imagine if Christ couldn't use sinners in his work. There'd be nobody but him to work. The trainer probably doesn't even have to remind you. He has us trained so well, we do his work for him. We tell ourselves the lies. Elephants have good memories. I've heard it said an elephant never forgets, but I've known and learned in this life that sometimes memory, why it can be a curse and not a blessing. Why is it that elephants, and you know I mean people, often seem to remember the destructive things and forget the constructive and glorious ones like forgiveness and grace and the God of the clean slate and the willing and not reluctant Savior. He is the willing, not the reluctant. I've met Christians that sometimes make it sound like what Jesus' desire is to keep as many people out of heaven as he can. If he wanted to do that, he didn't have to come in a crib or hang on a cross. Tragically, we seem to have Alzheimer's when it comes to what God says. And a photographic and phonographic memory to what this world's trainer says, or that abusive parent, or that false friend, or that angry spouse, or that destructive Pharisee, or that cynical Sadducee. I can tell you, and I think you know it down deep, that who you listen to matters. Who you believe matters. And it makes an even greater difference. Collectively, who we listen to and who we believe matters in our experience and in our effectiveness. So, so let's listen to Jesus and let's believe Jesus. The trainer whispers in your ear, you're a failure, quit fighting, give it up. Stop pulling. You're too small. The chain's too strong. The stake's too deep. That's far enough. You've gone far enough. You witness, never. You share, never. Nurture, love, no way. I mean, teach, preach, 
show the love of Christ? You can't do that. Don't strain, stand still. You don't have the time, the talent, or the energy. You just sit quietly in that pew. That's far enough. Come on in, sit quietly. Leave quietly. Come again, sit quietly. Leave quietly. And die right here in the house of God, held to a stake that doesn't even exist. The trainer has whispered this to the church for years. And collectively, we have listened to him for too long. But Jesus said, Jesus said, Greater things than I have done, you will do. Do you believe him? Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, mountains will move. But do you believe him? Jesus says, all power is given unto me. Therefore, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Do you believe him? Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the very end, Matthew 28, 20. God says, I'll pour my spirit out on you, Joel 2, 28. And he did it in Acts chapter 2, and he will do it again if we will believe. It's time we started listening and believing Jesus. And not just listening to what he says, but actually believe him. And stop listening to the trainer of this world. Because who we listen to makes a difference. So who are you going to believe? The trainer who's out to enslave you or the Lord who wants to set you free. Who and what are we going to believe, church and campuses? The whispered lies that sap our energy and kill our souls? Or the truth? The way, the truth. The life. His name is Jesus. So who are we going to believe? The trainer that tells us that we can't, or the Christ who tells us that we can. The one who says that with me, all things are possible. Who are we going to believe? Who are we going to put our faith in? If we're going to believe, it's going to be faith travel. You know, I kind of like to be in a church that experienced faith travel, wouldn't you? Sounds better than air travel. I don't fit, it's miserable. I look forward to God's first class stuff when he lifts us, but man, I, I've been on too many miles and too many cramped little planes. It's like strap me to the wing and give me oxygen, it'd be nice. <laughs> Who are we gonna believe? I think it's time that disciples of Jesus Christ dream again. Believe again. In the power of God, do again. I think it's past time. Years ago, long ago now, I remember I was reading a book. I came across a story I love, history, and I know this is true from history. And it really says to you what I want to say today. It's in a book called, And the Angels Were Silent, tucked away in there. It's about Hans Boblinger of Ulm, Germany. Hans Boblinger of old Germany, he wanted to fly. He wanted to break the bonds of gravity. He wanted to soar like a bird. There's a problem. Hans lived in the 1500s. There were no planes, no helicopters, no flying machines. He was a dreamer. He was told he was born too soon. 
but what he wanted was impossible. However, Hans had been spending his life making a career out of trying to help people do the impossible. He made artificial limbs in a day and age where almost every cure had to do with amputation. Aren't you glad, uh, you know, man, I'd hated going to the doctor in the 1500s, man. A cough? Let's cut your neck off. <laughs> I mean, it's a common way. Amputation. So Hans was kept busy. He always was trying to help people overcome their circumstances. And he wanted to overcome his. So with time and his talents, he used those talents to construct a set of wings. I'm just, take yourself back to the 1500s. Man, you're very young. All right, so we're back in the 1500s. Imagine making wings. You probably did it in some shed somewhere and kept it hidden and only your best friends could see it. I mean. Then on a memorable day, he brought those wings out. He took them with some friends of his to the Bavarian, the foothills of the Bavarian Alps. It was a good choice. If you've ever been there, it's beautiful, but it's also known for a lot of wonderful updrafts and you people who fly know how important that is. And, and so on a beautiful day with the sun shining and friends around, he went off a ledge and he floated safely down to the ground below. His heart raced, his friends applauded. God probably rejoiced. But something terrible happened that changed everything, history even. Something happened that while it couldn't stop flight, it set it back for a long time and kept people grounded. The king of Ulm, or Germany, was coming to Ulm and, and so the bishop and the citizens of Ulm wanted to show off their great inventor. Word had gotten around about Hans flying feet and so they asked him to do a loop or two for the king and Hans consented. Since the crowd would be big, they wanted one change, however. Would you do it somewhere close to the village here in the lowlands? He chose the bluffs by the Danube River. They're broad and flat. The river was a good distance below. He would jump and soar gracefully down to the water, he thought, but it was a poor choice. The updrafts of the hills were non-existent near the river. So in front of the king, the court, and the entire town, Hans leapt from the bluff and fell like a rock with wings straight into the river. The king was disappointed. The bishop was mortified. Guess what the bishop preached on the next Sunday? There were no like signs outside the church being changed, I'm sure. Man was not meant to fly. And Hans believed him. Imprisoned by a pulpit, he put his wings away, never to again try to fly. History says he died soon after, gripped by gravity. He was buried with his dreams. You see, Hans and the people of Ulm, they believed the bishop and his can't-do sermon. And they lived with their feet firmly planted on the ground until they were buried under that dirt. But they never felt the freedom of flight. They never spread their wings or felt the power of an updraft. They never reached heavenly heights. They never soared, glided, or flew. They believed the preacher in his can't-do sermon. Because in this sinful world, can't-do sermons sound true. 
So it's time we lift our eyes higher and listen to the voice of God. He belonged to a church that called only for weekly attendance, but not faith, not attitude. And, and he clung to the ground, and the people did, safe by a stake, chained in a church. They died at the stake. Failures of fear for fear of failure. How much never happens in the cause of God because we're too focused on ourselves, afraid we might fail. I mean, who's it about anyway, us or God? Chained in a church, bound in a building, pinned to a pew, held to a bracelet, attached to nothing, the manacle of the mind. Imprisoned by a preacher who should have told him that he should try again, that should have encouraged the people that they're free and encouraged them to get out there and spread their wings and try again to fly again. Because if you read the Gospels, you will find that Jesus doesn't preach practical messages. He preaches true messages. And faith is key. How practical was it for Abraham? To leave his home, to go to a place he didn't know, didn't know where it was, didn't know what it was, didn't have GPS, didn't have Siri. He had probably a miserable camel. But he walked by faith. And God blessed it. It wasn't practicality that led Noah to build an ark. But the rain came down with a pitter-patter pit. It wasn't practical for an 80-year-old shepherd to go back to Pharaoh in Egypt and say, let my people go. It wasn't practicality that had them put blood on the doorposts, but the death angel passed over. They were safe from judgment under the blood. Stretching out a staff over the Red Sea doesn't look like practice to me with the Egyptian army, the greatest army of the world, hot on their heels. But the sea split. And the army drowned. It wasn't practicality to send the choir out first. I don't know how you would have liked it. I think I would have joined band back in those days. It's like, We're going to war. It's a huge army. Let's send the choir. <laughs> I don't care how bad they sing. I mean, it's not going to work. Except it did. And the choir won in the power of God. It wasn't practice that led a little boy to fight a giant with a sling, but the giant fell. It wasn't practical for Elijah to call down fire on a soaked up altar of stone, but the fire came down. It wasn't practice for Daniel to pray publicly when it could mean your death, but he prayed anyway, and it worked, even in a lion's den. Was it practical for Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego not to bow, but to walk through fire? And when they did, only the ropes burned. It wasn't practice that allowed Peter to walk on water or to preach at Pentecost. It wasn't practice, it was faith. Rightly placed faith. Faith in God. Wasn't practical for a bunch of people to march seven times around Jericho, blow trumpets and shout. But the walls fell. It wasn't practical to preach Christ dead, risen again to a pagan world 
but the gospel spread. And it can again. And it needs to. Pentecost didn't fall on a practical church. It fell on a believing, prayerful church. And the latter rain will not fall on a practical church. Don't care how organized we are. Don't care how talented we are. It will fall on a praying and believing church and schools and let us be those people now. And the first church was a church that believed in the unseen and then saw the unbelievable. No wonder the church moved and the earth shook and hell trembled. And when we learn that lesson, hell will tremble yet again. And I think it's high time that the devil and his minions were the ones afraid and not the people of God. I say it's time that this elephant learned to dance. We won't get too complicated as I shared in the band knows. I'm a white PK, Adventist PK. I will not be dancing with the stars. The stars would run if they saw me. So we have to keep it simple. I mean, we grew up in a church where we didn't smoke, chew, dance, or go with girls who do. So we will do a simple two-step together all the way to the kingdom. And this is how it goes. Believe God. Move boldly. Oh, by the way, let Him lead. Believe God. Move boldly. It's, it's bad. No one filmed this. Believe, move. It's also very hard through here. Uh, believe, move. Believe. Hey, guess what? This manacle isn't even attached to anything. And by the way, one more word, as Max said, about the Church of Ulm. It's empty. Since I was a young preacher, I, I've been to Europe many times. I always feel like a missionary. I was at a school. They were crazy enough to ask me back two years in a row to a week of prayer in Sweden. And it was mainly um, atheists agnostics because in Sweden you can go to any school you want to and our schools are known for good education but the faith was lost long ago I remember second year there were decisions for baptism we went and opened up the baptistry in the school church there was that much dirt and dust and debris we had to shovel it out I asked them when the last time there'd been a baptism. Nobody knew. So I know something about churches in Europe. And the one of Ulm, like so many of them, it's empty. It's dead. And how do most of the people, or who are the most of the people that even go to church now there? They are tourists. And how do most of those tourists get to Ulm? You know, they fly. So much for the word. Impossible. Our Father and our God, I ask this, that you will give us individually faith the size of a mustard seed, 
that you will bring us together in love and unity as never before. And we will put all those mustard seeds of faith on your altar, asking you to do great things. I ask that you would bring us alive as never before. I ask that you would make believers out of us and that you would show not only this area, but a light that will shine far and wide that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is coming soon. I pray this in Jesus, your name. Amen. Amen.